welcome to Slayerfest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and today my co-host is one of my faves from the UK. He is a writer and journalist and author. Philip Ellis, hello. It is so lovely to be back, 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 back once again. It's been a minute. It has. I, I think I've only been on once this season so far for um, what was a bit of a, a dreary episode. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to be back for a more fun one where there's actual plot and some some interesting character stuff going on so yeah can't wait to dive right in but first we have to introduce our two wonderful guests uh, so first off we have got youtuber and host of the interview and last week on podcasts adam strawn hello welcome hey thank you very much for having me and uh, next up we have pro wrestling host interviewer commentator and competitor Hey. <laughs> Hi, Quinn. <laughs> Hi. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> she really does it all. Uh, yeah, I'm so happy to have both of you. Um, Quinn, would you like to start us off with your Buffy origin? Yes. Okay. So my very first like real episode that I remember watching of Buffy, because I think I was like 10, was The Gift, which was fully traumatizing. And my brother is who got my entire family into watching Buffy like weekly and we watched it together episodically and I remember like it was the first like crazy thing that I had ever really seen on TV because again I was a literal child so Buffy just dies right and then it ends and I was like wait they killed Britney Spears like (laughs) (laughs) and I was hooked after that so when season six came out I was like appalled and I was like but she's dead what are they gonna do how are they gonna bring her back And then, uh, yeah, I just, we watched every week after that. And then whenever I was in college, I started doing improv at a local theater called Class Act Productions. And the regular Buffy that they had for their episodes, for their staged parodies, got pregnant. So I got to step in for the first half of season seven. And it Ah. was like the, the most incredible thing I've ever done in my life. I got to live out my dream of truly being Buffy Summers. And I, it changed my life forever. <laughs> However, I did it with the express purpose. I'm like, I know they do once more with feeling once a year. So if I do this, I get to be in once more with feeling. And then <laughs> they did it two weeks after the actual bus. Uh, anyway, you yeah, sing too? Awesome. Um, I mean, like I would surprise you at karaoke, but okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I've said this before, but like Quinn, I always feel like I get Slayer vibes from your selfies when you're like working out. I like always am like life goal. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it is chaotic that the first episode you ever saw yeah. was the gift. Right? And then, and then, and then the, your first full season would have been season six, which is just such a it's a lot. You, you really mm-hmm. did go mm-hmm. in at the deep end. Yeah. Yeah, I, right, Philip. I feel like we said this a lot during like that season. It's like it does become a little bit of like a slog where it's just like, "Ooh, we're doing the the crying again." Like, <laughs> I love season six, and and probably because it was the first full season that I ended up watching, and like the first season I was really exposed to. But even mm. to this day, I know it's a very controversial take. I love season six. I do think season six. While I love Cordelia, I love Oz. Cordelia is like one of my favorite characters. I think season six has the strongest Scooby group with like Anya and Tara. Like they're really good additions and like it feels more, I don't know, but I I like that version of the Scoobies maybe my favorite. Also, I need to point out, we had some issues with Zencaster and we were recording over Zoom and it is very weird. This is my first episode we've ever recorded with video. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, my, my bad, everybody. Um, so, Adam, would you like to tell us your Buffy origin story? Yes. So, oh, I've been looking forward to this. So, um, I remember, so obviously, Philip, you might be able to, I'm not sure how old you are, but you might remember this. So I was watching it when it was live on TV and it was on Sky One. So this was nine o'clock Thursday nights when Buffy was on. And then when Angel started, it was 10 o'clock. So it was straight after. But I remember I, so I'd came downstairs and my parents were like big Buffy fans and my older brother was watching it as well. And I walked into the living room and then I literally walked in on the moment of season three. And the episode is Choices, I believe, when, um, so that's the episode when Faith cap- uh, captures Willow and it's all about like, they've got the box and they have to make the exchange, right? So it was the scene when Willow levitates the pencil and then like stakes the vampire from behind. And that was the scene I walked in. And I was, okay, what what is this? And I need it in my life immediately. <laughs> and then <laughs> it was my older brother who weirdly kind of fell off the show after season three, just wasn't really interested, which is still a crime, which I'm not over. But however, <laughs> he literally gave me the hottest take of in 30 seconds of what Buffy the Vampire Slayer is. So he gave me every character, what was going on. And I was like, wow, okay, got it. I am in. And then I kind of watched the rest, which that's quite far through season three. So I watched the rest of season three and I was like, right, okay, this is like the greatest show ever. And I remember like, this was at the time when like, you know, we used to walk down to school and like friends would knock on the door and you'd walk down to school together. And I had one friend, there was like four of us that used to walk down together. And one of them, my friend Peter, he was like crazy on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but none of us watched it. So I remember the next day on Friday, he knocked on the door. We were walking down to school and I was like, Peter, do you know what I watched last night? I watched Buffy and he was like, no, nah, he just completely lost his mind. And then that was it. We were just geeking out. And I got other two friends who were staring at us like, who the hell are these nerds? But then that got them into Buffy as well. And then, yeah, I kind of watched from the rest of season three and then kind of just continued on. So like when Angel leaves at the end of season three, I was like, oh, well, you know, I don't really get what the big emotional hit is here because I didn't have any of the season two context at right. all. And then... Mm-hmm. I remember going back and buying like seasons one and two and then watching them and being like, oh, sweet Jesus, I have missed a lot. And then I loaned, um, I remember I loaned like season one and two to my other friend who we used to walk out to school with. And I was like, you need this in your life immediately. Don't talk to me until you've watched it all. And then, uh, yeah, and that basically, that was me getting him into Buffy. And then that was it. For the rest of the time of us walking down to school together, we used to riff and talk about Buffy. So yeah, it was that season three episode. So thank God I came downstairs at that point in my life. You have just taken me back to sitting on the school bus on like a Friday morning talking about, I can remember very, very vividly the morning after graduation day aired Mm. on the Friday morning, we were like, oh my God, like what's going to happen? Like, is Face dead? Is Angel dead? Like, he looks really good with a shirt off. What's that about? I have these mixed (laughs) feelings. I'm 13 years old. (laughs) Uh, yeah, you both have a very good Buffy origins. <laughs> well, right, because in the UK they didn't delay graduation day, right? Um, I don't think so. No, no, oh, right. So I guess in the states that the the schedules were always changed because the was always a school shooting. Uh, yeah, know, you're yeah, the national yeah. pastime, um, and we don't have as much of that over here, <laughs> thankfully. But well, uh, we we the nice humble brag you have there. <laughs> <laughs> Must but we be got, nice. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we we got Buffy much later on anyway, so it was kind of like it was already pretty much like either it was so far ahead in America and then it started for us or like one season was over and it started. So I guess, yeah, we just got a clear run. Yeah, we were always about like a year behind. Yeah, because uh, that was that was why I fell out, because when season like the graduation day was like prolonged, I was like, oh, I want to wait till I see the finale. But I had no I thought I just missed it. I didn't realize it like had been pushed 
Um, and then I like, it was like forever until the VHS tapes came out that I mm. see graduation day. Um, but we are here to talk about Buffy season seven's first date. Quinn, what is your season seven hot take? So I feel like my season seven hot take is, is it's not very hot. Like it's the same <laughs> as everybody else's. Like it's, it's very doom and gloom. I really find joy, especially in episodes like this, where it's like the last few magic moments that you get between the Scooby gang, just doing stuff. That's like not super high risk, high reward before everything's just like balls to the wall. Right. Awful. And like the full blown apocalypse happens. So seven is like one of those. It's, I watch it when I get to it, but I'm not like a super big fan That's for right. angel season five <laughs> over Buffy season seven. Yes. Ooh, I do too. I do too. Agreed. Uh, Adam, what's your uh, season seven hot take? So it's not one of my favorite seasons. I will admit. However, I think one of the big things I really love about season seven, and I kind of wish we got more writing in season seven to really explore this was how they kind of really started to build outwards with like the mythology around Buffy. And I really did love that. So like, Kind of Buffy up to this point, we very much are going in like a forward trajectory. We're following Buffy, you know, and like following her through the Buffy verse. Whereas at this point, I think season seven really allowed us to build out rather than kind of go forwards. And what I mean by that is, you know, we got stuff like, like we got like stuff to do with the Shadow Men and like the mythology around that and the first Slayer. And then we got stuff about, you know, the Guardian appeared and giving Buffy the scythe and all of the mythology around, you know, being the Slayer and the power that that scythe holds. And I really eat that shit up. I love when they build like that outer world. I love all of that. So Lord. I really appreciate Yeah, give me that law any day. I love that. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate that. I really, really enjoyed that. And I really wish that we got more writing that was around that because I always find those episodes so fascinating. But yeah, for me, it starts off really well. It takes a big dip towards the middle when I think they're trying to figure out what the heck they're going to do. And then, you know, it kind of picks back up towards the end, but I just find there's a lot of filler that we have to get through. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so th this is sort of arguably, it's sort of like, um, I, I think you're right, Quinn. It's one of those last episodes where you get a real sort of dose of classic Buffy humor. And it's mm -hmm. sort of half filler and half like furthering the plot. And it's sort of, um, I think more than a lot of the Buffy episodes in season seven where they kind of all really do blur together because it's so serialized. I think this is one where I, when um, Ian asked me to co host for this episode, I had very clear memories of what happens in it. Uh, mm. And that is not always the case with season seven. This is like the opposite for me, because other than the fact that like Xander dates a, another bug demon, because this is Xander's like 13th foray into bug people, um, <laughs> which which I, for one, am like kind of a fan of because I sort of view him as a little bit of a cockroach anyway. Uh, regardless, <laughs> I think this episode lays like a lot of groundwork um, for like the next arc of this season, right? Before we yeah. really get into all of the doom and gloom stuff. So like we find out that like Giles isn't the first, which was a, a series of episodes leading up to. We find out that Principal Wood is like very in on this whole Slayer thing, right? His mom mm. is a Slayer. Um, and he's in like a literal blood feud with Spike, which leads us... <sighs> I have a lot of issues with like the way I think that they tried to tie up loose ends in this episode to set up the groundwork for the next arc. Because I... Like kind of like how whenever Dawn showed up, they were just like, here's Buffy's little sister. Um, they kind of do that with Principal Wood, right? And I kind of get it because there's this whole foil between if he's going to be a love interest and if he's actually evil. And that's kind of interesting, but it also only lasts like this episode. Like I never remember in this episode that like Buffy goes on a date with Principal Wood. The only thing that I remember is 
Xander goes on a date with a bug person, which is not at all instrumental to the plot. And then <laughs> that sets up like whether or not Spike deserves torture. And if his redemption arc is already past the point of like that kind of suffering. So we're going to get into all of that because I have a lot of thoughts as well. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right. The sort of Xander dating, uh, I, I think perhaps looking back, the only reason this stood out to me so strongly is because it's the Ashanti episode. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, I, which I didn't get at the time. Like watching it at 12, had no idea. That's crazy. It sort of felt like a, it, it was made out to be a bigger moment than it turned out to be. Because uh, mm-hmm. it's such a, you're, you're right, it's such a B plot. Um, but anyway, okay, so. The episode begins and we finally get that flashback uh, kind of filling in what happened between Giles and the bringer. Um, I would like to get everyone's thoughts on this because my, in my notes, I just have here, uh, this made me feel like Kathy Bates in misery. Um, I was like, this I was like, does everyone have amnesia? This is not what happened in the flashback where like we saw it, him like practically get his head cut off. Mm. There was no shot of him with his lightning Jedi reflexes. <laughs> this is like, you could not get away with this in streaming and binging TV now. It's, this is like peak early noughties TV where they were relying on people forgetting what happened six months ago. Yeah. So that was, yeah. Uh, I have my notes, yeah. Kathy Bates in Misery, uh, but also Giles is very hot with an axe. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, you know, I thought about that too, Philip, because I was like, we see that axe like right at his neck. And like, but in the flashback, it's like, nope, he grabs it like up above his head and like, mm. whatever. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I do think that's like a, that would happen a lot in TV back then where they feel like, meh, it's going to be a little different when we show it again. Nobody can binge this. They won't know. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I will, so a thing I kept thinking about this episode, like, and it starts here at the beginning. So like Giles is telling them about this, right? He's telling them how he didn't like how the attack happened and how, you know, he did kill the bringers and whatever. At, at times it feels, he feels very un-Giles. Um, like the way he's bragging he's like it was my instincts and blah 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 and I just I don't know that didn't feel like it feels like Giles would be like oh yeah I, you know I I fought them and I defeated them the writing for Giles is all over the place this episode yeah. and I kind of mm. want to get into that a little bit later on um just he's kind of a downer um and you're right very un-Giles like but yeah so we so we you know we have him telling this story to uh, Buffy and the potentials, um, you know, bragging about his instincts and then tripping. Oh no. And then he gets like uh, tripped up and rugby tackled by Spike, which then reveals that reveals to him and to the viewer from the cliffhanger last week that Spike has had his chip removed on Buffy's orders. And that just kind of prompts this like ongoing, really boring debate about whether Spike (laughs) should be muzzled or not. And it's, I just, we get this debate basically whether Spike should have the chip or not. And I feel like the show's stance on whether Spike needs to be chipped or not basically changes depending on what the plot is that week. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just really kind of tiresome. Like Buffy says to Giles, you can't beat evil by doing evil. And it's like, well, I mean, mm. like he didn't have a soul, and like, like it kind of they were literally like, he was a serial killer called William the Bloody. Right. I, I, I just I I feel like it's a bit of an over, oversimplification to be like, oh, what they did to him was bad. It's in his nature, but also it's not in his nature anymore because I believe he can be good. And it's just yeah, it, it's more of this heterosexual nonsense where you know <laughs> your, your favorite girlfriend is trying to defend the absolute dirtbag that she's dating. 
And and we find out that like Spike killed Principal Wood's mother, which I mean, bad. And he didn't have a soul at the time. And it's still a horrible thing to do. And he just tried to rape Buffy less than what, like six months ago. Yeah. Right. Like, right. yeah, that's the thing that that is. And Spike fans don't get too mad at us. They tend to get a little mad. I love Spike, but that is the thing that makes me the most mad about this season is like, yeah. we don't really talk about that. Never. Mm. And like, we just kind of like the Scoobies at first are a little bit like, well, he did try to do that, but like no one ever says it. And like the Scoobies just kind of stop doing that. And then we just kind of like forget about it. Right. Where they try I, to act like that. I guess an argument could be made that like he was out of his mind at the time. Like Spike right. was on a decline of like going insane and being tortured by the first probably like Buffy is a little bit of an unreliable narrator because even though we see the show view like via other people's points of views oh in general we're still viewing like the entire premise through Buffy's eyes mm. and mm. so I I think that like things could have been going on with Spike hypothetically like way before we knew but also I'm not a rape apologist right. so that's yeah. like you yeah. still can't get around it <laughs> <laughs> right it's just like it's the really hard beat that i have with we do so much with spike here and i almost feel like the trigger was like a writing tool to blow past the like rape because it's like oh well then we're gonna this is the plot because we have this going on we're gonna talk about the trigger and like him being mind controlled or whatever mm-hmm. and it kind of like is a way to get the characters away from talking about like the rape which like granted he was doing murder but like the rape was sown it was a bad and like yeah, I don't know. that. That's the, like, beat I go back to often with this season is, like, but he did do that. Like, I think, um, yeah, to, to build on a little bit on what Quinn was saying, I think for me, you know, you're saying people being angry at Spike. I'm kind of more, I would place my anger more on the way that Buffy deals with Spike and treats Spike in, Spike in this season. You know, she's very apologetic towards him and always finding reason for why we should get behind him. Even though, you know, when Anya has have that fight in that episode and then suddenly she's like, oh, no, Anya must die and stabs a sword through her chest. It's like, oh, hold on a minute. So... We're going to forget everything that Spike's done up to this point, but yet Anya does what, like has one episode when she kind of changes and now we're going to kill Anya. Like, let's talk about everything that Mm -hmm. Spike's done prior to this. We're going to overlook that Spike. And even when Giles says to her in the bedroom, you know, like, you know, you are Spike's color in your judgment. Like Giles is kind of right. Like that is what is happening. Adam. Yes. I was, that's in my notes is like Giles is like, not wrong here with what he's saying. And I almost wish, um, I don't know if you all knew this. They did. In Lies My Parents Told Me, cut a scene where Giles tells her, I killed Ben to kill Glory. Like, yeah. he tells hey, her. I thought of that this episode mm-hmm. when Buffy says to Giles, you can't beat evil by doing evil. And I, did, I, I was sat there thinking, I was like, does she know that he killed Ben? Yeah, because she basically she, she, she's mm-hmm. talking about Spike, but she could be talking about what Giles did in, in Quinn's first episode, The Gift. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I... I, and yeah, and it, and it was it's sort of one of the very few um, allusions to what Giles did in that episode. I think it's maybe not ever directly referred to after it happens. But it, yeah, it made me think of that because it was the parallels were there. And like, I almost wish it would have been right here. He's like, "Well, uh, did you see Glory again? Because no, you didn't. Because I killed Ben." Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And so he's just got like two different monologues where everyone's like, "I'm going on dates," and he's like, right. "Guys." Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's it's like, you're, 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 you're right, um, Ian. Like, nothing Giles is saying is wrong. Like, he's absolutely got a good point, but he's just, like, 
being a real bore about it and being a real killjoy while everyone else is like, oh, let's, can we live? And he's like, no, you can't. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. It's just like they have a lot going on. Like dates seem like, like, I feel like I don't even have that much going on. And I'll be like, oh, it's not a good time for me to date. But like, end of the world <laughs> kind of does seem like a really bad, like, all right, do what Willow did. Like, find someone hot to have sex with. And like, that's fine. But like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it does kind of tie in a little bit to the Giles character. I mean, when we think back of like Giles kind of going way back to the start as well, he has very much been like the backbone of the group, yeah. like kind of, you know, pulling them together a lot as well and kind of refocusing them. I think that's kind of, for all he's been a bit of a Debbie Downer here, um, he is kind of trying to refocus them and saying, come on, people like, you know, girls are going to die here. Let's be real for 10 minutes. And I mean, look at when he left in season six, like the group fell apart what and the then, shit? you know, yeah. I mean, went to absolute shit and then some but then when Giles came back which by the way one of the best episodes of season six um you know then we kind of get the Scoobies coming back together and then even in season seven you know we do get that kind of the group is coming back together and really strong here so he has been a Debbie Downer people are adults people are allowed to date he is doing his Giles thing which is being the backbone and keeping the group together and refocusing them I guess I, I think that the way that he's written in this episode also loops back around to how, at least I think, that we still view a lot of the episodes through the way that Buffy sees them. So back in like the mm. Halloween episode from season two, there was that little demon that was like really inconsequential, but he tells her this line and he's like, they're all going to leave you alone. And in this season that happens and Giles abandoning her with Willow and then coming back, but at a later time and like Buffy mm -hmm. feeling like none of her friends are actually there anymore. I feel like this is kind of one of the, the first dominoes with Giles in this season where it's like Giles is not necessarily on Buffy's side, but Giles is on the side of the world. He always has yeah. been. He's a watcher. And there's this like chink on in the armor of the Scooby gang. And like, this is a really like intense focus of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, because like he, I even I quoted some of his stuff, but he says, "You rely on him; he relies on you. That's what's affecting your judgment." And he's yeah. like, "That is completely correct, right?" Like, yep. if like I mean, you brought up like she tried to Anya did the thing with the frat house. Buffy was like, "Well, she's got to go." And with yeah. Spike, it's like, "No, well, there are these reasons why," and we're always like, yeah. I, "I do like uh, the idea of viewing." Um, the show in general and then sort of specifically scenes like this as being told through Buffy's kind of biased perspective yeah. because it does kind of explain why um, he is sort of basically just like parroting what the writers want him to say in, in a way that feels like out of character because you could you could interpret that as Buffy being like oh Giles is being like such a killjoy right now mm -hmm. um, and he is but also it's like it's because you know when you've got a friend or a mentor who's telling you something that you don't want to hear your first gut instinct to be like, oh well, they like they're just being like you know they're, they're telling me what to do because they like they're just, they're, they're boring and they're, they're they're annoying me. I don't like it. Yeah. Rather than to actually think like, oh no, they're they're right and then they maybe do know what's best for me. Yeah. So uh, moving forward, we do. I, I wanted to point out we meet Chow and who they had referenced in the prior episode. Mm. Oh, she's oh, walking. Yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. Some real good like early noughties racism. Yeah. yeah not about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah I, I yeah all of this i'm like oh god like all of the jokes are just that she doesn't know english it's broad in a way that buffy the show was rarely that broad it was yeah. like it was like watching like one of the american pie or road trip movies yeah. or something mm -hmm. from like that same period mm. like 
when she makes the joke about like being lactose intolerant and having like a stomach ache, and then it just it just cuts to Buffy like with a really stupid grin on her face. Yeah, like the show is better than that. And yeah. yeah, it was really that was like not fu- not funny at all to rewatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like you said, Philip, it's very of the time, but Buffy didn't usually do that, right? But so moving forward, then we get uh, Xander. I guess it's Home Depot. I don't know. I don't really know where the hell they are. Right? <laughs> it's, uh, this whole scene, uh, it's so perfunctory because it's literally, okay, we need a B-plot of Xander being a demon magnet again. So, oh, Xander likes tools, right? We'll have him at the tool shop with all the, the tool boys and there's a tool demo uh, and Ashanti is there. Go. And that's, yeah. it, that's literally yeah. it. Yeah. They don't even give him like a reason to like actually start interacting with her. He just like, it's like, oh, I'm Xander. I totally have the right to go up to Ashanti and start mansplaining rape to her. That's in character. It's, mm-hmm. it, but it's I like, I think in my brain when I remembered this, they were like, I mean, this wouldn't make sense at all, but they were at the construction site he worked at. And like, that's why he like talked to her. But I guess that really wouldn't make sense. Just why would this random person just be on a construction site? She claims that she's hanging kayaks, right? Is that what she yeah. says she needs the ropes for? The kayaks mm-hmm. weigh like 10 pounds. And he's like, oh, well, you're that's not going to be strong enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, a fun little bit of very lazy foreshadowing there. there yeah. yeah. Um, I do. I, I get it. You know, we, we need to introduce this lady love interest just to get that like B story going. So like, whatever. I do feel like with Ashanti, it really feels like she, they were like, we have her for one day, so her scenes will be <laughs> five minutes, and that's it. <laughs> but you know what? Like, I wish they just leaned on more that she was a shanty because the conversation here is so awkward. When, like, you know, when he says, like, oh, like, you know, want to get coffee later? See, I can be random as well. Like, I cringe so hard, I nearly passed out. But, like, I just kind of wish, you know, like, even if she was just... You know, if Ashanti burst into song, I would have been here for it. I would have just accepted it. You know, if she even said, like, you know, baby, I don't always use a rope, but I'm always here for a good time. If she just went with that and just went with it, I would have been here for it. I would have lived that Ashanti dream. But uh, yeah, you're right. It feels like we had it for five minutes and we didn't really get to explore our character much at all. I mean, I feel like you can't really overstate. Like in 2000, what was this, 2002, 2003, Ashanti yeah. mm-hmm. was a big, big cameo. Mm-hmm. And they do like less than nothing with it. Yeah. <laughs> like this could have been anybody from central casting. There was no like it, it was like, oh look, it's a shanty. Oh, she's gonna be a big deal, except no, psych. Yeah. Uh but but uh, okay, yeah. Like we'll 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 get back to that in a little bit. Right. So So then Buffy is snooping around Principal Wood's office. I just want to say it's so stupid for him to keep a cabinet of knives in his actual office. And right. then that, but then that just made me think about how Giles had like a full armory in a public school library. And I, I, have, like, I have to suspend <laughs> yeah. my disbelief. He's like, that's the show. That's the show. This scene is so melodramatic and delicious, though. Like the, <laughs> the dramatic scene where he like looks over his shoulder at the end after she walks out. It's like, I could eat it with a spoon. <laughs> More, more that. <laughs> they were really leaning into. Oh, he might be a villain. I have, uh, a, yeah. I have a question for you guys because I couldn't remember because, like, I knew this because I've watched it show a million times. Was this the first time we see that he does keep those weapons there, or did we already like? Did the viewers already know? I think I have a feeling that it had been shown maybe one time. Yeah, before. I agree. 
But this was a relatively like new thing because before this episode, Buffy had never even like really considered him romantic interest. So this was like right. kind of a random mm. pairing anyway that was literally just done so that we could have that will he, won't he, is he, is he not moment, which I, I dig, but also was superfluous because it's never addressed again like they they don't ever do anything i think it was kind of a bad i i mean i think him and faith kind of made more sense anyway as a parent oh yeah Um, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get to that (laughs) yeah okay so yeah we have this like quinn you're right it is a very dramatic like it's like they're playing music and then he like pulls out the knife and cleans it from blood and like puts it with his Mm. other bazillion knives um scrumptious and like asks her on a date, they're going on a date. She's like, yes. And then we kept to Buffy and we're discussing it, which I do really like. Um, I, we, Buffy, a promotion? <laughs> it, it's so mean, but so funny how everyone laughs at how shit yes. Buffy is her job. <laughs> yes, it keeps going back that joke. I love the repetition of it. And every time Buffy's destroyed and everyone's responsive, just laughing in her face. Love it. <laughs> She's just badass to the world, but inside her group of friends just dunks. i thought it was a really really cute scene where buffy and willow are like folding laundry and just talking about their love lives um because again it's it's one of those things where we don't have time for this after this episode really moving forward Mm -hmm. we don't have time Mm -hmm. for just funny friendly conversations yeah Um, Yeah. and it's sort of it's progressing on what happened in the episode that preceded it the killer in me where Buffy and Willow were kind of having a lovely chat about, you know, Willow maybe dating Kennedy. And then this time it's Willow sort of having that teasy friend conversation about, you know, Buffy maybe wanting to date Principal Wood and how he's a really good option because he's, you know, a hundred years younger than her last two boyfriends. I um, love that line. Yeah. I mean, like you and Quinn said, like, I love them like just like ragging on her. And when, cause like Xander walks in and he's like, oh, he's like 10 years older than you, isn't she? And Willow immediately is like, that's a hundred years younger than normal. Like, I love that friendship when they get to like do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Because like, like you guys said, we just don't, the, the season just doesn't have room for it, especially after this. Like we just, there's no room for like yeah. cute moments between them being best friends. And they're yeah. like, those actors at this point, they know how to do that. Like they are very good at like the best friend chemistry. And Buffy does yeah. that thing where, you know, when like people start, you know, Bragging on you, and so you get defensive, and she's like, Willow holds Kennedy's hands under the table and thinks no one yeah. notices. And it's like she's just like she she gets really defensive and, and just sort of like claps back, and it's just it's so funny. Um, and they're just dragging her, and, it, and it's it's adorable. There's, Willow has a really good line in this when Buffy's like rambling about like the wicked guys she attracts, and Willow says, "I wrote it down. I'm gonna wait for that sentence to come around again before I jump on." <laughs> that was really yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and who among us has not been that friend spiraling? And then you you know your best friend is like I'm gonna wait for this to just like play out and then I'm gonna tell you what I think. <laughs> so what yeah. that means is this is Ian in, in my DMs all the time. Is what <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be diplomatic. I didn't want to name names, but yes, <laughs> it's true though. It's it's like proper friendship, isn't it? When you're taking the piss out of each other, you're ripping it out of each other, and yeah, it just feels really authentic. And as you said, by season seven, it should do right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just, it feels that. And I, I just love for how small the scene is. It just, it's so impactful for them as characters. I love it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's also like a little bit of a fourth wall break because Buffy does literally have zero qualifications to be a high school counselor. Right. Yeah. None. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not forget. Like, girl, you're not getting promoted. Yeah, no. 
<laughs> and she's like, we've we've seen her be bad at her job throughout the season. <laughs> so many times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh god, uh, yeah, I love the girl, but she barely graduated high school. Um, mm. It's it's adorable. Mm. Um, okay, so moving on from, I mean, I could just live in that scene, but moving on. Um, then you have Andrew setting up the microwave. Another really important plot in the episode uh, yeah. is that the first appears to him in the form of Jonathan, um, and I'm kind of reminded here that the first is actually not very good at manipulating people. It's just very lazy monologuing. Mm. Although there was another great, great line here where he's like, oh, Buffy will never accept you. You're a murderer. And he's like, confidentially, a lot of her people are murderers. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Spike, Anya, like, pretty, even Giles, as, we, as we've just reminded right. ourselves. Like, yeah, mm. no, a lot of people in that squad are stone cold killers. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's uh, it's right it's right what you said about the first as well. Like I think the show wants us to think he's a really good manipulator, but the reality is he's kind of not, uh, or she or whatever guys it takes. But um, yeah, I think it's really interesting as well how Jonathan like asks obviously Andrew to get the gun, and yet this is another episode written by Jenna Spenson who wrote Earshot, who Jonathan had a gun in the tower. I just think it's a really interesting link that they made there. Yeah. But I think with with the first. Okay, I, I'm going to go on one. So what I really wish they did with the first, if you guys all seen Wonder Woman? Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to spoil something, but here we go. So, you know, when we get the reveal, you know, when the kind of, you get the question of Wonder Woman, of like, oh, just evil exist in the, you know, the heart of all men. And then you see it's kind of Ares who's been whispering in the ears of people through time and affecting. I kind of wish that's what we got with the first, because the only kind of guys we really see it is in, you know, we get to see a big focus on it in season seven, right? And obviously we get the other episode earlier on with the first. And we kind of don't, we still, even by the end of season seven, don't really get a lot of background history on the first. We kind of just get like this exploration. It would have been so nice to see what else has the first been up to during its time, because this is the first evil, right? So what yeah. if we got a look back where the first was like, you know, there's other hellmouths, there's other things happening around the world. What if the first Cleveland. was influencing Exactly. Let's not forget Cleveland. But what if the first was there influencing other bad, other enemy and really kind of manipulating and shows how much of a stronger force it is? Because the first only exists if it can maintain evil, right? That That's its yeah. whole point. That's what it feeds off. But yeah, yeah, we kind of just didn't get that. And as, as you said, Philip, yeah, I think it thinks that it's a really good manipulator, but the reality is it's touch and go. I think the thing that frustrates me the most about the first is that it should be a very basic straightforward big bad right like mm. it can appear especially we saw the first way back in the first and second seasons and yeah. it was way better at being a manipulator because it wasn't out and proud about the fact that it was trying to manipulate you it was just appearing as somebody that was dead that you loved and that should be a very simple connection to make it should be able yeah. to be manipulated it should be able to manipulate literally anybody because there's someone that has passed on that we love and have that connection with that we want to hear from and does it, is it the first evil that projects his choice at some point, right? Yeah, well, like you, they don't like say one way, or the, but yeah, it's in conversations with dead people, it's like choice, yeah. I think that's the smartest thing that they ever did with the first. Like that's what they should have really leaned into as opposed mm. to just, I'm going to show up as this dead person and be sassy and talk shit to you. Like it could have <laughs> been so much more nuanced and the, yeah. the concept of the villain is so much more basic than that. They could have done so much more with it as far as yeah. storytelling devices. And I mean, you're right because like Joyce, like if it's going to appear to Buffy, like Joyce or Angel are like the, the ones that should be appearing to her as to like talk her. Yeah. Jonathan. Okay. Sure. But like, eh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
And I mean, I always go back to like that, the season seven premiere, that ending is one of my favorites where they have every villain like talking to Spike, but it would have been so cool if that happened to Buffy because they're like big, like hurdles she had to overcome that like were like a problem to her. And like, Mm. I wish we could have gotten the first doing that to Buffy because like, all right, if it's not Joyce all the time, then like being a villain that was like such a big threat to her would be scarier, right? I think the first evil is, it's sort of, one of those things where it's a great idea and then the execution when it comes to like, what budget do we have? What actors can we bring in? Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. You know, Angel is, you know, busy over in LA having his spin-off series. He can't be on set every couple of days, you know. Um, And then also I think one of the reasons why they never had, you know, Amber Benson come back as Tara as the first is maybe they didn't want to have an actor's final appearance on the show be as, you know, like someone beloved like, you know, Tara or Joyce. Yeah. Uh, to, have that, to have that face kind of then be associated with a villain as opposed to, you know. Wait, I have something to say to that because Amber Benson, when she was on the podcast, up until like, I want to say it was like the week before because the costume designer, when he does his outros, he has some of the scripts and he had the script and the script he had for conversations with dead people was Tara. It was Willow talking to Tara. Oh, really? Oh. Wow. And Amber Benson backed out because she said she didn't want that to be Tara's final appearance on the show was like, as an evil character mm. right yeah. right which i get as, as just from like a professional wrestler i guess and we get all up in our fields about like how we want to be portrayed as baby faces and heels i kind of get that but also yeah. just from a storytelling standpoint it would have been so much more heart-wrenching if we did hear something because like other than that we know that the first has the ability to drive people literally insane and yet, mm. throughout the course of this season, we never actually see it yeah. used to that extent. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot of wasted potential. Um, but so we're going to move on to the next scene, which <laughs> I do like. It's a beast. This is a great scene. Buffy and Anya yeah. in the bathroom. I will say, as the like painfully single one in most of my friend, in all of my friend groups and in my family, Anya's bitterness, like, made me feel replenished i was like <laughs> but like when she says she's not jealous and then she's like do you hear the shrill tone of my voice of course i'm jealous like i was like <laughs> what i love though is anya is like the bitter jealous one but she's still like you know be enough of a grown-up and enough of a good friend to help buffy wash the blood out right. of her clothes for her date <laughs> which is an excellent callback it is yeah. an excellent callback you're absolutely right i have that it's not actually blood it's pizza, pizza from when dawn was stealing yeah. uh buffy's clothes in what was it conversations with her people and dawn says the one. eh she'll probably think it's blood <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I mean and and, they, and that's when the show is firing on all cylinders because it knows that the fans will pick up on those little details yeah but yeah I, anya is kind of they shit on her all the time but she's like I absolutely, from out of all the characters in this episode, I'm like, no, like her emotional kind of journey of like being really angry at Xander, but then worried about him. And then like, once she finds out he's okay, being angry at him again, it's like, that's real. Right? Yep. It is. Agreed. Mm-hmm. None of this, like, you know, oh my, all this like pearl clutching over whether Spike should have a chip or not. Like that, that, that's boring. Just give me more of like Anya spiraling and and that I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. here for it. Um, also yeah. this scene uh, just really reminded me um i mean quinn you're i think you're a bit younger than us but maybe you'll remember in the early noughties when girls would just wear lingerie and jeans and call it an outfit oh yeah like just the lace camisoles Mm -hmm. the camisole and then the huge jeans (laughs) yeah well and then buffy at at one point is even like traditionally one wears something over this and i was like but do you right yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) 
I mean, she looks great. Yeah, she yeah. looks. Oh, yeah. They both they both look amazing. I, I was thinking, I was thinking like Buffy spoiled a lot of that for me in shows now when it's like, ooh, that's supposed to be their underwear. I'm like, I don't know, Buffy wore that. Like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, like I watched Charms. They were they were vanishing demons in like teddy camisoles every week. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Buffy's leather phase basically defined my personality. <laughs> I do like that this scene kind of like ends with Ani being like, no, you should go. I have to pee. Like there, because there's only one bathroom in that house. Uh she runs into Spike. They have like a awkward interaction. Uh, another total non-conversation. And I have no idea what they're saying. I was so bored. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I just, I can't. Wait, what what, I, what was, was, that, was that when he's like, she's like, oh, I'm going on a date. Maybe you should try going on a date. And he's like, maybe I will go on a date. And she's like, maybe you will. Maybe I will. Maybe I am. And he's like, maybe I am too. And, oh. <laughs> They're both trying to convince each other that they're both in these like much healthier places right. when Buffy's literally about to go on a date with a man that she's never considered romantically before, ever. Right. Yeah. But something <laughs> about this scene that I did find interesting, well, not interesting as much as just like kind of funny, is that in order to signify that Spike has a soul now, I feel like the costume designers decided that they were going to put him to stuff that was not black, but like black adjacent. Mm. Yeah. Like yes. Spike's not evil anymore. Let's put him in a, a drab brown sweater. That'll really get him going. Um, <laughs> so I really <laughs> I appreciate it. But once he goes back to Angel, he's still just in like a black crew neck with the trench coat on again. So yeah. we we back we backpedal, but they, I appreciate yeah. the effort. Yeah. They experimented with Spike's fashion this year with this season. I think the only time it worked was when they put him in the really tight blue Versace top. Ian and I interviewed Matt Van Dyne, the costume designer, and we were just like giving him all of the flowers for putting James Masters in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The rest, of, the rest of the stuff he wears this season, it's like ugly camo, like overshirts, everything. It's very, well, I mean, it's very like straight menswear, isn't it? It's just like, mm-hmm. here are hideous earth tones. There's the, the, the long sleeve thing he wears in the episode. There's like a, and again, it's very like period appropriate. It's got like a weird tribal pattern on like the rear shoulder. Yeah. At one point, it's Early just, 2000s. it's hideous. It's hideous. Mm. I was like, has he got that on backwards? Like, I, I just didn't understand that at all. <laughs> uh, so then we, we cut to Xander and Ashanti on their date. Uh, and like you said, Philip, there's kind of nothing here. It's like he lies okay. about getting a red eye. It's a hot cocoa. Oh, oh, yeah. Very like corny rom com dialogue about coffee. Um, but again, I just I cannot let it go unnoticed. Uh, again, with the Northeast fashion, she is wearing a, a, a Baroque corset under a crocheted shawl to get coffee. <laughs> I, 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 chaos, chaos. It really is. <laughs> what, what's happening? <laughs> Um, (laughs) it was a weird time for fashion it was was such a weird time for fashion and like like a very sensible side pony (laughs) (laughs) she's ready for all weather (laughs) anything anything it makes Um, you think about ashley tisdale on the red carpet you're so right it's the 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 unhinged layering that was going Mm -hmm. on around that time yes I went to skating rinks. Okay. I was guilty. I was sent home once because I didn't wear sleeves. Really? <laughs> Scandal. Yeah. yeah. So scandalous. How dare you show your shoulders in the Midwest? 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was just going to say that the mention of macho points as well just killed me. Like, oh, I, I just, oh, that, that is so. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, oh, if I lost like macho points, like, Xander, someone needs to tell you that you never had them. <laughs> mm. Like, yeah, I. Yeah. So we get back to the house. Uh, Dawn, Kennedy, and Willow are researching Robin Wood. Anya, again, like, I've said this a lot this season. Anya, they definitely, like, after Selfless, didn't have much to do with her character. But mm. she still steals, like, every scene she's in. Because, like, Emma mm-hmm. Caulfield's delivery is just perfect. Yeah. She, like, never misses. Um, oh, 100%. And I love when she's, like, so then, like, they're, they're like, researching Robin Wood. Giles comes in. And I wrote down... Anya, because Anya's mad about the drawings he did, which are kind of a throwback to Hush, but again, feels almost too silly for Giles with, like, the silly blood. Mm. But Anya has this good line, and she's like, didn't you hear? Everybody has a date. Buffy has a date. Willow's been completely making out with this girl. Xander's out with some hardware store whore. It's Date Fest 2003. (laughs) (laughs) I love love that she's just, like, points at Kennedy and goes, this girl? Yeah. Like, you don't even get a name, Kennedy. Like that one. Yeah. She's like she's like a stand-in for the Tara stands there, like with this girl. And it's just like Anya's like bitter. It just it's pitch perfect. I just love it. But it's right I, as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, I mean I'm gonna disagree with you, Ian. I I kind of even though Giles is really a drain this episode, I, I quite like the funny callback to him just being really terrible at drawing. <laughs> I mean, fair, fair. <laughs> like he does, he does the exact same like weird stick figure Buffy um, that he did in Hush, and just like a triangle for a skirt. That so you know there's a girl, um, and I just yeah, I, I I got a kick out of that. And Giles gives one of his, which he will give numerous times. Like, what do you mean you're going on dates? This is not a good time for dates. Mm. It's almost like a to, like, season season right. one Giles when he was super super stuffy and tweedy before they kind of put more nuance and layers into him. It's very like... I definitely think mm. this this episode's supposed to be kind of a callback to Never Kill a Boy on a First Date from season one because that's that's when uh, that's when she yeah. delivers the like, if the apocalypse comes beep me because he's like, you can't go on a date. And she's like, Superman was Clark Kent. He had, he did other things. I'm, I just want to go on one date. And he did just get back from the UK. So he has been surrounded by other stuffy magic types for the last right. several years. <laughs> That's true. I mean, that's that's, that's that's so true. <laughs> I mean, it's just, oh my God, we are lousy with stuffy magic types. Just like, stuff. <laughs> Philip speaks truth. That is total truth. <laughs> so we get the scene of Buffy and Wood walking through another Sunnydale dark alley because there's a lot of them. Um, and they, you're, you're right. They really do, I forget which one of you said this earlier, but they really do like, up until right after the scene, push the like, almost like mustache twirling villain of him. Cause it does feel like a complete setup and he's like right over there. And the alley's like pitch black. And it's like, what restaurant is in the middle of this pitch black alley? <laughs> right. They get jumped by vampires. Um, and I do like when the show does this, it's so silly, but I do like it when it's like, he's like, you set me up, you son of a, but then they like cut off before she says the curse. Cause she sees that he is also slaying the vampires. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Can we talk about as well though? Like the first clip you see the vampire that walks into the alleyway is the exact same vampire from the gift. That is a clip lifted from the gift and put into this episode. I read that in the trivia. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no. As soon as I saw it. Yeah. 
because I've seen the gift like 500 times. It's like one of my favorite episodes. And as soon as I saw that vampire, I was like, I know him. And then looked it up and I was like, oh yeah, they've literally lifted it out of the gift and then put it, you know, like the opening of the gift when the guy's been chased into the alleyway and the vampire kind of walks around the corner and then, uh-huh. and then Buffy comes oh, out and she's like, are you guys having a, yeah, it's the same vampire. It's that yeah. one clip. Yeah. I know that oh, they like good. reuse extras and I always like to look at that for little Easter eggs, but I did not use, realize they use the exact same clip. Yeah. Oh yeah. I read, I always I, look up like episode trivia before recording. That was one of the episode trivias. So was the budget <laughs> for this season just like basically nil? So a lot of people have been saying that they, like I meant to look this up, but like the reason the potentials, like in this episode, the house is supposed to be crowded with potentials. We only see- And we don't see any of them. No. We only see Amanda Chowan, who's new, and uh, uh-huh. Kennedy, and that's it. And Kennedy. then like 10 other potentials that are actually living there, but we don't see them. And it's because they didn't have the budget to have them in all the episodes. I'm glad we do get to see Kennedy though, because the look that she has for this episode. Yes. Oh. She looks small. Yes. The, the spiky bun and the button down. The white, she looks like the world's hottest bartender. <laughs> yes. 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 Like I would tip her 50 whole dollars. Oh, right? yeah. I, I mean, I had that in my notes. I was going to save it till the end to bring it up. But she looks Damn. so good. Yeah. yeah. So, so Buffy sees that Wood is slaying the vampire and he's like, oh, we have a lot to talk about. The restaurant's nearby. And we cut back to Xander's date. He has apparently been telling her about leaving Anya at the altar. I mean, yeah. too soon. Too soon to make have this you, joke. <laughs> have you, has anyone here been on a date with a man and he's talked about his ex for like the entire time? This is the most realistic and relatable that Xander's <laughs> ever been. But not where he's like, oh, I literally just left her at the altar. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> you you know that he would be on he would be telling everyone he meets about that and he'd be like he'd be on reddit like am i the asshole which is why it's so fitting that she's list is like yeah i'm only killing you because you seem so nice <laughs> honestly um it's a good thing that ashanti turns out to be a demon because there is some real pick me behavior on show where she's like yeah. well it sounds like you just weren't meant to be together and i mean if i were her i wouldn't i wouldn't make you feel bad about it and it's like okay red flags yeah and it's like oh yeah. no, you're just evil that's that makes sense yeah <laughs> i think it's classic xander and the fact that a girl's into him and therefore all logic is lost like if yeah. you're talking about if you're talking about your ex and then she's responding to you like you know oh well you know and then still wants to go on a further date with you and invite you somewhere else red flags explosions going off fireworks everywhere something is wrong but then Xander's just like oh yeah well she's into me so all logic goes out the window I'm like come on Xander yeah this is not the first time that he has been duped by like a demon bug person and yeah. you think that he would learn from his lesson but as we have seen from the past seven straight years he does not he does not he does not nope. <laughs> So we get Buffy and Wood on their date. Um, he reveals that. So I, I don't know if any of you remember. I do remember there being like rumors about Mickey Wood coming back. I can't remember if they were rumors that he was her son or just rumors. Because I remember it being like, oh, Nikki Wood is going to come back. Like people kept saying that. I'm like Buffy posting boards back in the day. And I remember being like, when he talks about this immediately being like, oh, his mom, we're getting that Nikki Wood is his mom. Like, I remember, like, making that connection pretty, like, immediately. Because, um, mm. like, he specifically says it wasn't a demon, it was a vampire. Like, you know, my mother was a slayer. I died when I was four, so she could have been younger. Um, mm-hmm. I I like it. I do like it. I don't know how you all feel. I, so I, no, I loved it um in the in the moment when like but it's, I, think, I, I don't think i knew until like that scene where he said it and i was like 
that is so cool because exactly mm. like Adam was saying earlier, this is the season where we we start to learn more about the wider Slayer world. And as I was rewatching it, I was like, wait, like why? Like because Buffy is like obviously flawed, um, and she sort of like, has all these questions. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't Buffy like? Buffy, surely Buffy would know like who all of the like the recent Slayers in like the 20th century were. And then I'm like, oh, actually no, she really wouldn't because <laughs> the girl does not read. <laughs> If it no. was Kendra, she would know all the names, all the dates, everything. Yeah. But Buffy just like did not care. So it kind of it tracks with her that she would be like, "There was a slayer before me." What? <laughs> like, yeah. And it's a I'm bit like, of a red herring because they intentionally like didn't have him wear the trench coat that he takes off of her this episode. Yeah. yeah. Yes. 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 I, yeah. I, 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 yeah. That's that's why they they put him in the hideous other stuff is because they wanted to. <laughs> And then it's a bigger moment, obviously, in the later episode where he kind of like reclaims the coat while yeah. he's broken his brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm. yeah, I just I just remember feeling like in that moment, I was like, oh, the son of a slayer. That's like every self insert fanfic I wrote in that time was like, <laughs> that was me. I was the son of a slayer. Um, so I, I, I like, is he gay and British too? <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know what? Like there is a there is a there is like a split second in that scene where you think that maybe something could potentially happen between them. Because it's mm. like, oh, here is somebody who There's chemistry. Knows, mm. he knows your secret identity. You know, he's not going to be threatened by your power, and he wants to fight alongside you. Like, there, are, this is this could be a healthy relationship. So, of course, Buffy's going to fucking tank it, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I love that because it's Buffy. She's like, "Do you have Slayer powers?" When yeah. like that's. Yeah. Never once happened. If there's <laughs> one thing she should know, is that that's not a possibility. And and I like seeing her be like, she's like, holy crap! Like she's kind of like. Oh, yeah. cool. Like she's like surprised by it and like interested in it. And I kind of like, we don't often get to see Buffy excited and curious. Mm. And it's like cool seeing her like asking him questions. I mean, also, yeah. he is gorgeous. So, like, oh my God. Oh my he God. Looks, he looks like he's wearing like eyeliner because his lashes are just that dark. Yeah. And like, yeah. I could not stop looking at it. Maybe that's why I was like, oh, is there chemistry between Wood and Buffy? Or is it that he's just like so attractive that I'm being pulled into the scene? <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, if he was looking like that and me over the table, geez. But, um... oh. <clears throat> Feeding me pears. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched five seasons of Lucifer before I realized <gasps> he was a Menadiel because he is, he was, he's 52. I Googled it and he looks exactly the same as he did 20 years ago in this episode. I, my yes. brain yeah. can't make it work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, even in 24 as well, when he's David Palmer's brother, I was like, oh, hello. Oh, but, is he um, in 24 as well? Yeah, he's David Palmer's brother. So he's like the president, we're trying to become the president for one of the seasons. But um, yeah, I mean, I agree getting back. To kind of like the point, um, I I I love the reveal, um, and I love I love when the show does a callback and does it really well. So like I think one of my favorite things as well is when you know do you remember that in season four when uh, Tara and Willow are trying to do the demon locator spell and you see Tara put the dust on oh, yeah. the bed and you you don't yeah. find out why until season five the episode family, and I love that shit. So when this calls back to it's full for love in season five, right? Yeah, when, yeah, yeah. Buffy's talking to Spike and he's kind of talking about how he killed the other slayers. And then you get that call back again. It's kind of, yeah, I, I just love that connection back to previous Buffy stuff that we've seen before. It's just, it's really great writing for me. It's highlights of the show. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, so then we get the Andrew. Okay. So this is like, there's a little too much. There's like too many plots that are only getting like five minutes going on in this episode. For me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Andrew one, especially, I like it. It's got, all the fun characters, right? It's Andrew, Anya, Willow. But like, especially that, it feels like we accomplished nothing. 
it's yeah. it's again like this that that little bit of plot could have been fitted into any episode of this season it's sort of mm-hmm. like just a little bit of oh we need to we need to remind everyone that the first is the big bad and kind of tie this into the overarching yeah. you know sort of uh serialization whatever but i mean yeah everything that didn't work in the first ep- um scene with the first earlier works for me here because mm-hmm. andrew is just being so funny yeah he yeah. is really good and and that it's that moment when uh jonathan says are you wearing a wire and you just have willow like throwing off the headphones like, oh my god no it reminded me of um, in sex in the city when carrie's like oh my god he's online can he see me <laughs> <laughs> um and it was like that perfect like mix of slightly silly but also then it goes quite scary because jonathan's mm-hmm. made up to, like, yeah he yeah. has that really creepy line so many dead girls mm. uh, that and makeup yeah, is so good. Of, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Love that moment. Um, and I do like, because Andrew, the thing that I love about Andrew is he he has that nervous gay energy where like he just won't shut up. But like I relate, it's like you're nervous, so you won't shut up. So you talk more. And he's just constantly nervous. So he's constantly having word vomit. And when even he's talking about Buffy's underwear troll. <laughs> <laughs> right, when so he stupid. And, like, because he's gay, he's not like, oh, it's hot. He's just like, she had some very nice pieces. Like, he's not like. (laughs) (laughs) And the first is Jonathan is like, show me. And he's like, well, I didn't take it. And it's like, the gun, idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I do love that. I'm very fond of Andrew. But other than showing the first being, like, all evil and gross, this, you're right. Like, this didn't really necessarily, like, do anything or, like, advance the plot at all as much as like the makeup was awesome there should have been like something he learned right like maybe just one thing because like the thing he learns is like they're not ready for spike yet but like that's nothing right like yeah Yeah. don't record the first evil like that seems to be the main takeaway yeah i'm like okay Mm. (laughs) right sure they were writing the script and they were like oh we don't have like um andrew or willow or anya or kennedy or dawn doing anything this week so we need to find something and they're like, well, yeah. we already we have to pay him because we're in that first scene. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I understand. So the trio were like a bunch of idiots on the whole, but like theoretically, they're supposed to be super smart, right? Like between the three of them, they had this whole like Death Star vibe or like wannabe Death right. Star vibe, and that was part of the comedic relief and also the horror that was like the trio of them is that they were incredibly stupid and also dangerous, right? Um, so I just. Andrew just here, he kind of like freely gives up the plan to the first that like they're like completely gives it away because he's so nervous. And I just feel like he would have been in scenarios like this that are high pressure enough at this point to not just give the first literally everything all at once. <laughs> that's, I mean, he, that's he did manage to, he managed to keep from Jonathan that he was going to murder Jonathan, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So he did carry out that plan. Right. But I guess he can only be smart for Warren, like. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I will say that, like, I did like the beat of, like, when Willow's like, wait, I do hear something. And Kennedy's like, no, we all hear it. Like, it's, like, mm. throughout the house. I thought that was, like, cool. And that it appears as, like, because the makeup's getting, like, progressively worse. But by the time he's in the basement, he's, like, full, like, zombie, dead person makeup. Um, I love it. I yeah, love I, thought, it. I, I do think that beat was, like, really cool. And, like, Amanda just, like, screaming and them all being, like, oh, shit. Um, I do like while I ragged yeah. on this like plot line, I do like that. Um, it, it was, I think it was, it, yeah, the, the, the makeup and then Danny Strong kind of, because obviously Danny Strong 
who we knew for so much as like one of the comic relief characters then delivering this really sinister speech it kind mm. of like it just sort of shocks you into being affected by it even if overall the, the story doesn't really serve much purpose yeah. um so then yeah we go from a super scary bit to just more silliness uh so literally like Zan- we don't even see xander getting knocked out yeah. or tied or anything <laughs> yeah. he's just already tied to the wheel and you you are left to fill in the, in the blanks yourself and and she, i think maybe she makes like some reference to oh thanks like i picked the right ropes like you were right and it's uh, whatever right she's yeah. so nice and polite the entire time which just reinforces what i always say which is that niceness does not necessarily equal kindness I, I do like, though, that uh, in between, like, um, incapacitating Xander and tying him to the wheel and hoisting him up with a pulley, she's had time for a costume change. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I assume it was to make her look more d- demonic or a little bit more like Aaliyah in Queen of the Damned. Um, yeah. She kind of just looks like a belly dancer. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's it's just more generic, like, early 2000s fashion. I don't really get the point of it, um, but... Uh, it, it's cuter than the corset and the shawl. I and like she looks good in it. She looks good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then, and then we just kind of, yeah, she's like kind of gleeful, but then we just kind of cut back to the summer's house, and and Dawn's pulling off the wire on Andrew. Um, Giles comes in and is pissed. Right. Yeah. He's like telling, like he's like mad. Everyone's on a date, and then Willow gets a text, and she says it's like part of their like code. Which I was like, that makes sense that they're like. They live in this town full of demons. They would have like a, a code. I think but this is what I like about exactly. <laughs> but but how? Yeah. At what point? At what point did he send the text? Because this is part of the with with Xander only getting two scenes really in his storyline. At what point did that happen? Yeah. Um, I, I I do like that in the final season they're finally acknowledging that mobile phones are a thing. Yeah. Um, mm. And it makes mm-hmm. sense that you know that um, a group of friends who were always in danger would have a sort of system of secret code messages they send to each other. So why the fuck can't Willow remember <laughs> what they are? Right. <laughs> but, but I mean, Willow, but I mean yeah. Will, Willow would have been the one to come up with the system. So why can't she remember? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. yes, but in the in the same breath, it doesn't make sense for Buffy to leave her mobile phone at home. I I think that tracks with Buffy's like absent mindedness, though. Like her, like she can't even drive a car. Yeah, like, I think she would be, like, kind of annoying about technology, or she'd be like, eh, I don't, like, she gave Dawn a cell phone, but I think she would hate having a cell phone. She'd be like, oh, um, I I can't get my Uber to work. Can you do it? Can you call the Uber? Can you you do that for me? I I, I just don't know. I don't know. Technology technology hates me. (laughs) Basically, like, me trying to get onto this call earlier. That's what I'm doing. Doesn't use cars, doesn't use guns, doesn't use smartphones. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so, like, Willow gets that she's like, oh, it either means he's having a good time or he's about to be eaten. Um, and I like the the beat of Giles is like, something's eating Xander's head. And Anya's like, hey, that's something. Like, yeah. <laughs> just love her. Um, Spike offers to go track her because he said he knows her scent. Shows up at the date. Uh, Philip, what is she saying? What's the really uh, line oh, she's delivering? Uh... But yeah, uh, Robin is feeding her like poached pears, and she says, "Oh, this might be the nicest thing I've had in my mouth." Which I mean, they, Buffy, the show has done that a couple of times. Like they've even mm-hmm. had Dawn say that about a cheeseburger. Yeah. But, oh, it's like a party in my mouth. It's like okay, okay, early two thousands. Like we can make better oral sex jokes than this. Come on. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, although, yeah, again, if he if if he wanted to dip a pear in sauce and feed it to me, who I mean, I let's be real. <laughs> and then um, she literally like looks up with like a mouthful of dessert, and Spike's just standing there like a fucking creep. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, at what point were you going to say something, Spike? You just sat, stood there watching her eat off his spoon. Like, <laughs> you were such a pervert. I, I do like the cut to them just in the car. Like, awkward. Like, I really like yeah. that cut because, like, yeah, that would be fucking awkward, right? Like, they were kind of on a date and then, like, her ex shows up and it's like, well, we got to go fight a demon together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So this is when... Uh, Ashanti has basically like been bleeding Xander onto the seal so that she can get her own like Turrican mm. bodyguard, I suppose. Um, okay, which raises a question. If anybody's blood opens the seal, why was the first so insistent on it being Spike? Why couldn't I, they just yeah. kidnap literally anyone? Okay, so I think, I think, I feel like season seven had a lot of like plot lines they threw out there that maybe they were going to do something with and they just never did. I think Spike was going to like, it feels like with the trigger and, you know, even in this episode, the first says we're not ready for Spike yet. But like, what the fuck does that mean? Cause like, when were they ready? There's mm. not like a beat when it feels like they are ready because the trigger goes away. It only comes back when Robin Wood kind of like makes it come back in mm-hmm. lies. My parents told me, I feel like that might've been a plot line. They were going to do something with, but like, yeah, because it doesn't make sense. Okay. Then why Spike? Why not just like, capture two random people and like lead them out on the seal like two people that have nothing to do with buffy so that way she won't know and just you know lead them out yeah it's i i think that season seven is probably the only season of buffy where they introduce lots of like little mysteries and yeah actually don't have like a plan for how they're all going to come together i think that every other season of the show yeah. everything fits together and on a rewatch you can see how it all works Mm. And it's only in this one where, like, they start off with such a hugely ambitious plan. And for the most part, it comes together and the finale is great. Yeah. But mm. there's a lot of, like, muddling uh, sort of missing pieces in the middle. I, yeah. I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that, like, it has to be somebody that's been directly influenced by the Hellmouth. Because it's not like they're just bringing, like, any passersby and, like, bleeding them out. It's like, it's Jonathan, and then it's Sander, and then they want to do Spike. Like... I I don't know if, if there's something I don't know. Magic is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love that explanation. Yeah, magic is weird. That that actually covers so yeah. much. It does. It does. <laughs> um, they show up. They have their fight. Uh, Wood finds out that Spike is a vampire because his vamp face goes on as Ashanti's choking him. Uh, Buffy pretty quickly disposes of Ashanti. She beheads her. We see her like demon head rolling around. Um. It's weird because, like, there always has to be a fight in an episode of Buffy, right? They're never not going to have, but, like, the two fight scenes here are very quick and very inconsequential. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, the the way it was shot and blocked and everything just seemed so stilted. Like, Wood was literally just standing in the doorway until it was his turn to have a line of dialogue going, he's a vampire. Yeah. And then and then he's like, oh, I'm in this scene. I should probably be helping. And that's when he, like, gets Xander down from the, the rope. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's very like Buffy, you, you hit Ashanti and then Spike, you hit Ashanti and then Buffy, you behead Ashanti and then Xander, you have a joke and Hey, we just wrote a scene of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) Um, Just like a combat stance. It wasn't super well choreographed. Like at some point Ashanti kicks Spike in the gut 
and instead of doubling over, he does like a full on like backflip, which is the <laughs> opposite of like where that momentum would even be going. It looks cool, but it makes no sense at all. And I don't know if that's just like a specific thing that I hate, but <laughs> no, I, I so I had in my notes that the 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 choreography seemed very stilted and sort of almost like an afterthought. So I'm glad that yeah. somebody who actually knows what they're talking a about. Professional, with yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Step yeah. on I up. Hated it. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, Xander gets pretty deeply stabbed, and yet yeah, that wound yes. heals pretty quickly. I'm like, the whole time watching, I'm thinking, why is nobody addressing that wound? Like, that was a pretty deep cut when she shoved that dagger in. And Wood's like, oh, I think he's going to be okay. And it's like, yeah, it's like doctor as well. As <laughs> like, how, how do you know? Yeah, like paging Dr. Wood. But I mean... <laughs> she could have pierced his kidneys. You don't know, like... Yeah, but as, I mean, as well, to be fair, Robin Wood did give us that sticking a vampire with one hand whilst holding the other hand out for a high five during that fight scene. I mean, that was a really, did you notice that? Like, sticking the vampire with his left hand, but his right hand was held out, like, as if he was just waiting for a high five. It was really wind- interesting, like, technique, I guess, but hey-ho. The rules about how the actual Hellmouth opens, too, are so hilarious to me from episode to episode. Because, like, Jonathan couldn't open it because he was too small and he didn't have, like, enough blood. And, like, the Mm. pigs that they tried to use before that, which are not even people and never really gets explained, also did not have enough blood. And But, like, Xander has enough from one stomach wound to open, like, one arm, like it's a star you or something. And so just this, like, weird seal. And then to close it later on, it's like, it doesn't want blood. It wants tears. But in this instance, it's like, you just cut the, the blood off and the arm smacks down and like cuts his Uber van's arm off. One, excellent use of CGI. Two, not incredibly uh, in sync with the rest right. of the plot. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, the, like, you know, I mean, we all love the show, but I do feel like their rules and like their magical stuff is kind of like willy-nilly. Like, eh. yeah. <laughs> So we cut back to the house. Anya is very nervous and pacing, and she has a very good line of, my feelings are interchangeable, but intense, <laughs> which is amazing <laughs> for him. Love her. <laughs> she has my favorite exchange of this entire episode with Dawn whenever they finally get back. Oh, wait, what is it when they get back? Because they, then they get back a beat later. So whenever she's like, is Xander all right? And Dawn's like, I don't know. He looks okay. And she's like, damn it. <laughs> it's, it's the best. And then, and then it's obviously like immediately followed by Xander having like a five minute joke about how he wants to turn himself gay. But before right. that, it was like the uh, best part of the episode. Yeah. See, uh, back, this, back then I liked this joke, but it is not great. So it's, it, I mean, it's, you know how um, we've kind of been saying throughout that this episode has felt a bit like a throwback to a much earlier season. I feel like Xander here, this is like a season one or two very toxic joke that I feel like yeah, they'd, they'd written Xander to be so much more mature by this point that this was just like, oh, shut the fuck up, Xander. Like, this is, <laughs> even even <laughs> you know that this is not funny. And yeah. then, like, Willow being the gay friend, he's like, oh, my straight friend's making gay jokes again, and it's my job to laugh, I guess. Uh, it is, uh, I, 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 even at the time, I was like, Scott Bakula. Yes. And, and then, like, the, 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 oh, like, the fey little smile that Andrew gets on his face, like, oh, I'm gay and a nerd, I get that. Yeah. But I don't say it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But I mean, whom's the Monroe's hasn't had a straight friend make like a stupid joke like that, right? Yeah. Again, it's just very much like, was this an episode of Buffy or was it one of the road trip movies? Because (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I honestly feel like if Sean William Scott had just like wandered onto set, I would not have batted an eyelid. I yeah. forget that he was a person. <laughs> Between this and like the, the casual like Asian humor, um, it's uh, just like yeah. Really yeah. crass yeah. and gross. Right, because Chow An comes back down and we get the more of the like lactose intolerance, whatever. Yeah. Um, then they're all making the gay joke and because even like when Don's like, ooh, Clem always liked you. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't join in Don. No, no, no. <laughs> like, yeah, leave, like, leave Clem out of this. Clem's been nothing but nice to you. And now you're making right. jokes about him. Like, yeah. oh, okay. Well, I get it. The Slayer's a bigot. Okay, fine. Right, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, <laughs> but then Giles okay. cuts them all off and gives them the like, we can't. He, I love that he like very dad is like, we can't be making jokes about sexuality. Like, I love the way he just like plainly like is like, no, no, no. We're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, again, like he's right. Uh, he's not saying anything. Like he, he's, he absolutely has a point. But also, a cheer up, and right. b like <laughs> he's 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 not saying anything that Buffy doesn't already know. Yes, like, Buffy's the one that's been like beaten half to death by the Torakans. Like she knows what's going on. Like everyone here knows, and like basically, it's like, oh, perhaps they need like a moment of levity before they go back to their impending deaths. Mm. Like. Just let them live. Oh my god! And then that's like the last th- thing you see of him in the episode. It's him like storming off in a huff, and it's just like, oh, I think Dad's mad at me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then we get the weird scene of Buffy and Spike in the living room, where she he's like, I should leave, and she says like, she's not ready for him to not be there. He asks how the principal fits in, and she says nothing. And then we get our like kicker of the end like if this were a marvel movie this would have been the post credit scene yeah i love this scene i love it i think it's great mm-hmm. principal wood is like washing up in the bathroom he looks in the mirror and we get the reveal and i'm glad they didn't wait for it. i'm glad it's like he kind of said it and then we just like explicitly say nikki wood is his mother and it's the slayer in the same outfit we saw her wear when she fought spike so we know Oh, that is very much that same character because it's a different actress playing her, which I don't know why they did that. This is the first time I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. I read that as because before it was just a stunt person and then they That's wanted another actor. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was an amazing fight sequence on the subway. So I understand oh, yeah. why they somebody yeah. who was really just there for the sort of physical side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I, I agree. This scene really, really works for me because it's so, it, and it's it's like what made conversations with dead people work is that mm-hmm. the first is the most effective perhaps when it toes that line and it's not being like a pantomime villain. It's being subtle and letting the person kind of make their own assumptions. And she's, mm-hmm. she's not like, mm-hmm. she's not pretending to like be his mother. Like she knows that he knows she's not. But she's saying everything in such a maternal way. Yeah. It just lends such a creepy undertone to everything, especially right at the end when she makes him say thank you. Yes. It's, it's yeah. Just like, oh, it's exquisitely like icky. It's more yeah. understated manipulation. Yes. And, and it's yeah. crueler. It's crueler than like, yeah. Like, I mean, we liked Jonathan as a character, but like, I don't know. Like, Andrew murdered him. So, like, in the end, it's like, well, you did it, Andrew. Like, Eh, but like this feels crueler because it is his mother that he hasn't seen since mm-hmm. he was four years old. And like, like you said, Philip, she's not pretending, but she's still talking motherly. So it feels mm-hmm. almost crueler that she's just like, even when he's like, I know who you are, like you serve no purpose. She still keeps going. She's not like affected by whatever he's saying. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when like, she's like, you fought alongside him, you know who killed me. And like the beat of her saying, what do you say? 
his acting is very good in that scene. Like his face is like stoic, but like tears are in his eyes and you can tell he's about to have like a breakdown about this understandably and just says like, thank you. I think it's so good. Yeah. I think it's one of the strongest moments of the first, if I'm honest, that we see throughout the entire series. But I think what's nice is what's nice in this moment is, you know, the other times we see the first, like, I mean, straight away we get like, you know, other people react when they see the first and like, Oh my God, it's in whoever guys it is. And it's like, it's nice that Robin straight away, like the first knows that Robin knows that, you know, it's not really his mother. So straight away, the first thing he pretty much says is, Oh, you're not my mother. You're the first. But what's nice is, is that the first, you know, we see him or, you know, whatever guys it's in giving orders to other characters, like, you know, as Jonathan to Andrew, go and get the gun, go and do this, go and do that. But instead here, the first uses that manipulation as if, okay, I'm going to give you something that you want, some information. And by me doing that, you're going to do what I want you to do anyway. And it's really, mm-hmm. really clever. I really love that. And it's just so well done with the first. It's well, it's, it's like you were saying earlier, you know, if we'd been given more of a view of how the first operates outside of this, you know, sort of very specific story arc, it's yeah. basically this is the devil, you know, sort of trying to seduce somebody. It's, right. it's yes. the devil who, being like what what can i give you in exchange for you know your your soul essentially yeah. um and she all she has to say is i want you know i know something you don't know i i, yeah. I have this one thing that you've wanted since you were a child and it's like it's so it's such a short scene um mm. but it just it it plays out so perfectly yeah yeah it's yeah, just like you were saying when it's more nuanced in the manipulation yeah And I think this is a really good example of how like this whole episode really was just to set up this next arc, which is about like whether Spike deserves to be redeemed or not, because I mean, we're not there yet. I don't even think it happens in the next episode, but maybe the episode after that, where it's like Wood tortures him and it's like, okay, but he's already past the point where we think that he deserves this. So Wood comes out as the bad guy, but like he's also on paper, not at all so that's Mm. what makes this manipulation like so much scarier because like it's such a gray area the first isn't right but like the first isn't wrong here either right they're just like delivering information like spike did kill his mother Mm -hmm. and now for a quick break folks do you love movies the good ones even the bad ones everyone told you not to like it sounds like super yakky is the place for you the team at Super Yaki loves movies. So much so, they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top-quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the 20th anniversary of the cinematic masterpiece Josie and the Pussycats, to comfy sweatshirts made for the brave members of the Movies By Yourself Club. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors, like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks, and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERSLAYERFEST, all caps, no spaces, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies, y'all. And now for a fashion roundup of first date, we have Buffy season seven costume designer, Matt Van Dyne. Hello, Matt. 
Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, What do you got for us today for first date? Well, first date. uh, Actually, I had a lot more um, to reference from because, you know, it seems as as the season gets longer, I have more things that I had saved, you know, so I, you know, go back and then, you know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it gets kind of uh, convoluted because I go, oh my, wait, I have to cross-reference this. I have to make sure, you know. So, <laughs> so I'm going back and forth, you know, finding yet like different notes in my scripts, and mm. it's really interesting. And I do remember a lot about this episode myself, you know, just in my memory. And oh, nice. when um, when this this is the episode with Ashanti, yeah, and <laughs> and I remember so much about. Uh, her being, you know, available to us, you know, I ha- even have like a, a memo handed down from the higher ups at Fox about what days she was, uh, what days she would be working and, you know, and what TV shows E and extra and all these shows that were covering her uh, um, appearance on the show. Oh, I love that. So, yeah. So I, I remember her fitting so well mm. and I remember, uh, just how sweet she is and oh yeah yeah very very kind and a kind of quiet mm. and i do as i recall i believe her mother was with her at the okay. time and but in the fittings you know it was really just you know pretty much she and i mm. and so what i i recall from it uh i i even have uh personal photos of different outfits we tried that, you know, we didn't use (laughs) and uh, photos of of the uh, costume that I was making for her at the time when she crosses over into, uh, I think I called her the vixen, you know, the the dark vixen or something like that. (laughs) And we were doing um, a costume for that, for that outfit. What's the character's Mm -hmm. name? Lisa or Lissa or something like that. Lissa. Yeah. Lissa. Lissa. Okay. So, um, yeah, so, so when I first went into my notes and I was looking, I, I didn't, I thought, well, who's that? I don't know who that is. But then, um, but then when I saw the script, I went, oh, okay, okay, okay. And in my notes, you know, the things we purchased and what we, um, made for her. But in the beginning, I had a whole different concept that was approved, uh, for, uh, her costume when she would become the, you know, the, the demon yeah. or vixen or whatever i don't know what to call her i'm sorry i don't don't know what to to call that but um uh and and we started building it and i had you know collected all of these different elements of like fur and lame and you know just different fabrics and and we were building it putting it together and then there was a change of course they didn't want that outfit as it turned out they i think they had a different vision for it later because things change And, uh, so that's when we came up with the black outfit, you know, that, that she ends up wearing in the show, which, which I went on the internet and I was, I just, I just thought, well, I was going to Google images of Shanti Buffy and boom. I mean, I was like, wow, there's a lot of that outfit (laughs) out there. I had no idea. So, but that was all custom made as well. And we made that basically Mm -hmm. overnight because, uh, she was working the next day as, as I recall in that outfit. So, um, and then the, the jewelry I shopped, uh, you know, the waist belt, the, the jewelry and all that, you know, I, 
as I recall, I think I found that maybe on Hollywood Boulevard someplace, but I'm not sure. <laughs> and uh, but then also, you know, for her other clothing in that episode, we had yeah. um, uh, you know her date outfit, which is so funny in the notes. And now I re- recall um, that she wore this uh, the bustier that she's wearing, and that came from uh, Saks Fifth Avenue. And Ooh. it was Dolce and Gabbana. Oh, and it was, uh, it, you know, it was a, a you know, really nice piece. And then there was also uh, the black lace-up skirt that she wore, and that mm. was also from Saks, and that was Machino. Oh wow! And um, that was something. It's funny. It's in the notes. She took that home with her. So, <laughs> because we have to account for everything, and I'm like, oh right. my gosh, well, you know, I I don't have any control over that. She wanted it, so you know, she took <laughs> it. So she took it home with her. I hope she I, I hope she enjoyed it. Yeah. So <laughs> so we we ended up, uh, you know, having to account for that. And then I, you know, I can't remember where I have a sketch of the whole outfit someplace because some of mm. it was, you know, made and some of it wasn't. But she was just adorable. She was just so sweet. The in the beginning, you know, at the lumber yard where she's with uh, Xander or Nicholas, uh, mm. that she was also wearing that the red top was also Dolce and Gabbana uh, in the first first scene. Was this because she was like a famous guest star, I'm, or was that just I, you, you know, happen to see that? N- not really. I don't think so. I, and I've allotted in my budget. I have my budget here, as I recall, and I. I I looked at it quickly a while ago. I had allotted $2,000 for her in the budget. Okay. And my overall budget for that episode was $20,000. Hmm. Her, yeah, I've got it all here broken down. And she was, yes, $2,000. That's what it was. Is that a lot for a That's a lot for a guest star, Probably, right? Probably, no? yes. Especially when, you know, we were doing so many other characters yeah. you know um and and sarah would absorb a lot of the budget she had sarah in that episode was four thousand dollars okay yeah it's funny her original name in the script was was maya m-a-y-a and that's, <laughs> that's so that's weird. why i couldn't find it when i was you know going down through here because in my preliminary budget that was her that was her character's name so and i think that as i recall we did this episode right after christmas uh-huh. And I was working on this, you know, before Christmas, and that was probably the name in the, in the, you know, the uh, preliminary script, you know, the first draft or whatever. So, so that's interesting. So, so yeah, so so, but then there were several other characters, of course, in, the, in this episode, and I, I just had certain notes that were kind of interesting. That uh, in the first graveyard scene with Sarah and uh, Anthony, mm. I have it in my, in my script. I wrote padded sarah's outfit we had to put pads underneath i guess whatever she was doing required Mm. a little bit of uh being knocked about and i have a photo of that someplace too of of that outfit because i remember fitting her for that ski cap and that jacket that double-breasted jacket i do remember that and then the only thing i want to say about anthony's clothes is they were they were always expensive they all came from neiman's or uh the higher end stores so we i always uh, Saxon Neiman's everything for him pretty much came from there. You know, you did a good job with that, I think, because before it was like he mostly wore suits and you did a good job of like still making him look more adult 
in oh, his fashion. Oh, really? Did he wear suits? I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah, like the first three seasons, he almost exclusively just wore suits. Oh, okay. I have to go back and look. I'm, I, I always say I'm going to do that, and I haven't. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, really. Okay. Well, yeah, he was more um, upscale, but not he, like I, I guess more casual than yeah. than they originally conceived him. But there were different things in the episode that caught my eye. And one of them was like, and I've, I have no idea where that came from, was Emma's uh, poodle little <laughs> cardigan. And I have, I'll find it. I have, I'm sure it's someplace in all of my records, but, but I love that little outfit. I thought that was adorable. And then <laughs> um, uh, Willow's uh, paisley top that she wore uh it had kind of a paisley print on it i guess uh, mm. it was kind of a khaki green with the i think it the 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 jeans as well are, are have floral embroidery down the side of them i don't know where the jeans come but the top came from macy's and it was uh it wasn't very expensive but it photographed really great it was fifty dollars but that's oh, nice. that's all it cost and i you know i have to go back and look how much i allotted for her in the budget and then uh, the other thing that caught my eye was uh, Kennedy, the character Kennedy's, uh, mm. uh, that little white shirt. You know, I thought it was kind of sexy on her, which was uh, a theory shirt. And that's a, that was $165. And that came from, I think that came from Saks, as I recall. You know, I'm always so impressed that you're like, oh, this shirt was 100 Oh, this shirt was 20 <laughs> Like, I, I, And like, it all it all still looks like just as good on screen. Yes, I mean, it just, that's, I guess that's my point. It's it's sometimes how things photograph that, yeah, that make the difference. You know, it's because of, um, of the pattern or the fit or whatever. It doesn't always have to be, you know, super expensive. You know what I was thinking that I did want to ask you? Uh-huh. With styling the potential slayers, like Kennedy definitely has a style. Yes. Like all the girls. How did how did that go with like making sure each one of them had their own style? Was that like all you? Was that like it came down from the writers? Was like a mix of both? Oh, I don't recall it coming down from the writers at all. Nice. That was nice. Uh, I guess it would be me. <laughs> I, figured, I figured it was I you. Guess. <laughs> yeah. And me and Terry before me, because Terry, mm-hmm. you know, was involved as well. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, I would say like Kennedy, my concept for her was mostly mine because I think she was mostly in the episodes, you know, that I yeah. did. Yeah. You know, but I, 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 it's funny you'd say that because I noticed little things. I think, like having her, wear, you know, emphasizing her waist with a belt and, mm-hmm. you know, because of the, you know, she had this kind of commando um, presence in the in yeah. the series, you know, and I wanted her to always show that, but yet be beguiling and sexy and yeah. appealing to the character of uh, Willow, you know, and Allison. Well, see, I mean, that's how you know a gay person styled her because I feel like you do a good job of the soft butch, where she is like the tough, <laughs> like you said, she is well, a commando. Thank tough. you for saying that because I <laughs> that is I probably never would have come up with that myself, but that's exactly it. That's that's the um that's the look. Yes, I didn't want it and, to be like um, um stereotypical. I guess. Yeah. You know, no, because I don't think life is like that. I don't think right. it's like that. I think there are nuances and gradations of different 
yeah. things when it comes to orientation of sexuality or, or just yeah. in general of, in life. You know, I just always think there, there's more to the, the picture than the, than the, than the obvious. I'll put it that yes. way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I noticed, I mean, I noticed that because I forgot that she wears suspenders in the previous episode and you do put her in suspenders again. Do I later? Mm-hmm. I, I haven't come I, to that yet. I guess I'll, I'll. I think it's either in the second to last episode or the last episode okay. for like a part of it. She's okay. wearing suspenders, oh, really? and she looks really good in them. Oh, she does, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, she does. She does. And I do think not everyone can pull off suspenders. No, but she did. She was, you know, she. I thought she photographed beautifully too. Yeah, you know, I really yeah. did. And she was kind of. Um, how would I put it? She and I had a an interesting relationship. I mean, the actress, she and mm. I. We got along very well, but mm. it was like, um, it was kind of challenging, but not in a negative way. She, uh-huh. she would question, she, she would have some funny remarks for me at times. It was funny. <laughs> some of them were a little personal, I thought, but it was okay, right. but it was all right. <laughs> and, uh, but, th- but that's what I remember about her and, but uh, always agreeable. And I liked her very much, you know, and I, you know she was really good in the part it's funny i'm because i'm getting used to like um how you like i i feel like you you talk a lot about how you deal with people and uh-huh. i know that someone could take you saying that in a negative but i know that you don't mean that you actually like i feel oh. like you liked when they had input oh yeah no 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 it's not negative at all no because yeah. and i don't if there is negativity i really don't go there so yeah you know and so just for everybody listening yeah don't never uh, make that assumption because it's not so it's because i think it's because you like doing what oh yeah you do, well, that's, that's so. what's interesting about well when you're dealing with people and the way they dress i mean it's such an intimate thing yeah that you yeah. are going to encounter them in a different um way than most people would because yeah. you're dealing with their body types you're dealing with how they present themselves and then an actress or an actor we all have them, but I mean, you know, there are insecurities and yeah. why wouldn't there be? I mean, right. because you're putting yourself out there to be <laughs> pretty much judged by everybody, you know, that watches, of course, you know, I, I totally get that. And, but, but no, I, I never felt it was a negative at all. Not at all. Um, and I always wanted to accommodate them and make them as happy as I could and with, uh, you know, what I could do for them, you know, in, yeah. in every, in every way. And and then I, I was going to mention a couple of other things that I thought that just I thought was so pretty was the you know Michelle who plays Dawn I mm. thought that little print floral top she wears I thought that was so pretty with that necklace I wish I knew where the necklace came from I didn't find it anywhere but I know that we had doubles on that top and they were um, I think I think that that little blouse was only like shirt or whatever you want to call it floral shirt uh was only like 90 dollars, but i thought it looked so cute on her with a little pink yeah you know little shell underneath and then db woodside you know i just always you know i i can't ever say enough good things about the way he always looks you know every time i see him on screen now i think of you being like ah, so nice so looked so great oh i just (laughs) think he wears his clothing so well he does. He's so handsome. Such a nice person, too. But in uh, the date scene, it's funny. I was watching, and I, I had made a note of his um, uh, the ribbed shirt that he wore, mm. and but I the jacket. But I also found the jacket as well. The jacket was 
uh, $198. It's a Kenneth Cole jacket. I bought it at Macy's. That's where that came right. from. And his little shirt underneath, again, it's all in the fit. And, that, yeah. and he could wear it. And it was, uh, it's a Calvin Klein. And I don't, I didn't write it down, but I'm, I got a pretty good memory when I look at something. I think it was only forty-eight dollars. Nice, nice. Yeah, something like that. But, uh, but you know, okay, this is something I wanted to say about the way I have looked at the show uh, since I did it, and looking at it now. When I was doing it, and not too soon after, I would think, "Well, did I make things too simple looking? I, you know, mm-hmm. not. I don't know how to put it. I want to say." I, I just think, well, at the time, I would think, oh, maybe it should have been more identifiable in some way, something they wore. Because I think a lot of the clothes before I did the show were like that. But now looking back at it, I just I think the reason it does look kind of timeless is because I did do it that way. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it, that it holds up better to my eye because I, th- I look at it and go, well, that doesn't really look so dated. You know, it doesn't. I mean, it is some of it, but it's not like like oh, that looks so two thousand two. You know, yeah, yeah. It it doesn't. You know, a lot of it. You know, you could wear you could wear today. You know, a lot of it. No, I agree with that. Yeah, and and that's just something I came to appreciate about looking at it because being so critical of myself initially, I thought. "Mm, I probably should have done more. I should have done more, you know, but I don't think so now. I think I did. I think maybe I did the right thing. I believe that makes me happy to hear. Cause I agree with you. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, I hope so. I hope people like it. You know, I, I don't know, you know, but I hope so. And really what was funny, you know, at the end of the, um, <clears throat> the episode, Oh, I did see where Spike, I have his t-shirt came from Macy's. It was $68, a Buffalo t-shirt. Uh, mm. But again, James could wear things that look, they, I think everything looks so good on him, you know, as yeah. well. And his clothing, it it all has kind of a, a mood to it, everything. And I watch yeah. it, you know, and I, and it's consistent. And I like that, that I, I look at that and I go, Nothing really pops out that you go, oh, you know, why is he wearing that? You know, it doesn't look that way. It's it's like he's because he's in kind of a funk, you know, that whole. Yeah. Almost that whole season. So yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think that's reflected in his clothing, you know, as we uh, see him, you know, throughout, you know, the episodes. And I, I, mm. I and I, I do appreciate that, that it. You know, and I look at it now and I think, ah, I did think that through. (laughs) (laughs) But what was really funny, and I know I've probably told it, I don't need to tell the story again. I'm sure it's been told so many times, or at least I've heard myself say it so many times. But about (laughs) the the ending, you know, when uh, Principal Woods' uh, mother shows up, you know, in her 1970s outfit. Hmm. Uh, something new I found. I had a note in my script, something about Foxy Silver or something like that. Was that a, I, you know, it was like, I think somebody gave me a note about that. Was that a character from some movie or something? They said she should look like that, but not quite as sexy. I don't know. But huh. we were recreating something she'd already worn. So, <clears throat> you know, so, but what was interesting, I found. In my rental notes, I went back to the, you know, I, I did recall renting it from Western Costume. 
And because I okay. think that's where it originally came from. And if this wasn't the exact outfit, it was darn close, you know, to what huh. what was it in the original, you know. Uh, I mean, it looks like, definitely looks like it. Well, good. But what, <laughs> what, what struck out to me was it was January 14th, 2003, when I rented mm. it. Well, that just, you know, now I know where I was on my mother's birthday. In 2003, because <laughs> that's my mother's birthday. So, but I, I just thought it was funny. But, I, you know, I, I have the boots and all that. We don't see that in, the, yeah. in this episode. But but that's where um, where that came from. So, hmm. so if you rented hmm. that and it was in more than one episode, did you have to, like, hmm. did you, like, do a prolonged rental yeah, or yes, just, like, go would, back and rent yeah, it? We would uh, prolong it. Because once I found it, and I had to dig for it, believe me, <laughs> I wasn't going to give it up again and have it, you know, go back into their stock and have to find it again or, you know, right. God forbid somebody <laughs> else rent it out from under me. So, you know, but I was, I was fortunate enough. I can remember it was on a rack on the second story uh high up i had to climb this big ladder i found it way up way up high jesus <laughs> yeah I, and i was digging it was like seven in the morning i remember that i was digging forever <laughs> for that and that boy that that's a dusty dirty place you know to, <laughs> to go in because you know things just you know right a western costume a lot of that stuff but that was in 2003. So a lot of that stuff dates back, well, to the beginning of the movies. I mean, you know, it, it's like you have, mm-hmm. you know, different things in there from way back in the 1920s and 30s. But wow. But in that section, it probably wasn't that old. But, but uh, oh, I, I, I had a note for uh, Nicholas's shirt. Uh, Xander's uh, shirt came from French Connection. Oh, no, wait. Okay. It's a French Connection shirt that came from Nordstrom. And it was okay. $178. I think that's the one he wore in his date. And then uh, I think at the lumber yard, that was a corduroy kind of Western looking shirt was. But I don't know where I put it. Uh, oh, here it is. Uh, it, was a, it was a brown uh, it's a brown corduroy. BC Ethic, $59 from Nordstrom. <laughs> so, <Okay. yeah. laughs> so and I'm looking to see if I have anything else to share with you, but I think I covered pretty much all of it. Okay, cool. <laughs> Matt, it is always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And it's always a pleasure to speak with all of you. So talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. And favorite outfit, Quinn. Okay. So Kennedy, I just mentioned it earlier. Kennedy's <laughs> outfit in this is like literally everything. I would wear it tomorrow she looks spectacular i myself am like very you can see it on the zoom call but they cannot hear it on the podcast uh, a big fan of the spiky half up bun okay the high-waisted pant the classic the button down so good it, 10 out of 10 <laughs> philip what was your favorite outfit um yeah i have to go with exactly the same i mean it's mm-hmm. been a wild episode for that early noughties fashion but Whenever I'm kind of on the show rewatching, I always think like, what what could be worn today without like you know people looking at you yeah. and you're crazy? And it's the yeah, so it's the white shirt tucked into the black jeans um, with the sort of spiky. It updo. fits her really well too. It's like a yeah. she looks yeah. she looks great. Like and it's it's so mm-hmm. it's so simple. It's so chic. Um, mm. But yeah, I love it. It's just not even one of the ones on a date. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, would, I, I have worn that on a date. Yeah. <laughs> Same. A nice button down and some jeans, you know, like forget all this lingerie shit. Like, mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
I, I do think season seven has like some outfits that like the coat Dawn wears in potential. I'm like, I want to wear that. That's a cute jacket. Like it does have more like stuff you would still wear now. Yeah. Um, Adam, what was your favorite outfit? I mean, there are some outfits which stand the test of time and we'll be talking about in years to come. And Kennedy's is one of them. I mean, <laughs> hands yeah. down. I mean, that outfit, it is a power outfit. She looks yes. fantastic. I remember like the first thing, the first moment I saw her in that outfit, that's the first thing I wrote down in my notes. I was like, that outfit, yes. Like, Kennedy, it's all just, caps. Yeah, literally. Yeah, like I even wrote it in capital letters. Like, Kennedy, <laughs> yes. Yeah, she is killing in it. It's so funny because I, I, when I'm looking back and remember, before I rewatched the episode, like when I, rem- I was remembering, I could remember like the weird black lace thing that Buffy wears over her like yeah. Amazon and jeans. And I could mm-hmm. remember, you know, I, I remember the, the various weird camo stuff that Spike wears throughout the season. I even, I think, had like some vague memory of like the belly dancer outfit that Ashanti wears. Mm. And it's like, yeah, I never think of Kennedy as like a fashion character. But it's just like this perfect little like soft butch chef's kiss. I just, I love it. Yes. Yes. That's it. It really is a soft butch, like really well done. Um, My favorite outfit, I like Anya's like end outfit with like cute cardigan and like the little, I think it was like a flower or something on it. I really like, Mm. she looked cute in it. Um, Favorite scene, Adam? Oh, it's the ending. Like hands down like the ending makes the whole purpose of the entire episode to be honest yeah. i mean that that is the, that is the plot you know like that that is the main plot which is obviously you know robin finding out that spike is the one who killed his mother but it's not even just a kind of you know a throw it's just the way it's done it's the way it's done with the first and the way it's delivered it's just the one of the best uses of the first hands down and even just his reaction and then him saying thank you at the end as well it's just it's expertly done so yeah if anything, the episode has purpose for that scene alone. Quinn? Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with Adam that like that's the that's the reason we sat through the last 45 minutes of exposition was because of that scene specifically. But because of the direction of the rest of the season, I think my favorite scenes in this episode are the ones where it's just like the Scooby gang being together, existing, because yeah. Like we hardly see the potentials. Not a lot happens in this episode in regards to like the actual overarching plot, but it gets an extra glowy review from me for being those last tidbits of like Scooby gang magic that we don't really get to see again. Like not ever mm-hmm. because from here on out, it's just like balls to the wall apocalypse. So I really appreciate those moments of levity that they gave us before the whole show just like broke down basically. Um, yeah, so I agree with Quinn. It's got to be the scene where Buffy and Willow are folding laundry and talking mm-hmm. about uh, Buffy's love life. And then Xander comes in, he's like, guess what? And Willow's like, Buffy's on a date. And just completely <laughs> lost his stuff. Like, no, I'm this, on a like, date. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. Uh, uh. And, and, and it's this, yeah, it's this wonderful callback to like, oh, like we've been with these idiots since high school. And like, we know exactly what that dynamic is. And they know, and it's comforting and it's yeah. funny. Um, mm-hmm. I made an episode of otherwise hugely mixed moments of like homophobia and racism. <laughs> right, true, there is that. True, true. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with Adam. My favorite, that ending is my favorite scene. Like, it gives me the chills. I love him having to say thank you while he's like tearing up and like clearly full of rage is just so good. Um, what grade do you give this episode, Quinn? I'm going to go with a solid B minus. It's very clear to me that Philip and I are the saps here and I (laughs) accept 
that mantle gladly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I give it a B minus just because it really doesn't advance the plot. It, it just sets up a lot of groundwork, which is fine. I love that kind of episode. So mm. it gets extra for me for that. But in general, it's like, like I said at the beginning, like I never even remember anything that happens in this except for the fact that Xander goes on a date with another demon. And that's not even really part of the right. plot at all. Mm. It's like the lesser part of the plot. <laughs> uh, Adam? I agree with Quinn. So I initially had C+, plus, but then since talking about it with you guys, I've pulled it up to a B-. minus. I think, you know, it's really allowed me to... <laughs> Team Quinn. It's really allowed me to appreciate um, the friendship between, obviously, the main Scoobies, which is always one of the highlights of Buffy anyway. And especially, you know, when we think about the very last episode of the season, like that moment between all, you know, like, what, what do you guys want to do tomorrow? You know, it just, it's a really nice moment that reminds you of like how great this core group of friends is. So I think that, and obviously, you know, that ending with the first as well, it just, yeah, it's really pulled the episode up for me. So I would say B minus. Uh, Philip? Um, I, at the risk of sounding like an absolute sheep, I had B minus written in my notes. We were going for a full house here. Yeah, basically for every everything that um, that Quinn and Adam have said, it's sort of the, 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 the plot is kind of pointless um, aside from setting up you know, Robin Wood's arc and having that kind mm. of really exquisitely um, sort of dark ending. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's just like, it's a nice bit of levity and some funny little character moments in what is a fast becoming a very turgid and impenetrable season. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to be the odd man out here. I give it a C plus. I almost was convinced to a B minus, but I think I'm still standing strong with the C plus. Um, I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's fair. Yeah, uh, that was my initial instinct, but I was like, the warm fuzzies, I feel them so deep in my chest. <laughs> uh, thank you all for joining me. Um, Philip, thank you for coming back to co-host. I, Philip, I can't believe this is only your second episode co-hosting. Is it really only your second season seven? I mean, it's a long, long season. It feels like you got you, the, the show has been, you know, recapping season seven for like half of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> started right, actually, I think it was a whole pandemic. So you took like two breaks. So uh, if you like Slayerfest 98, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you like us, feel free to subscribe to us and please rate us on Apple Podcasts. It's really helpful for the podcast. And if you want to support us, we are on Patreon, uh, where there are a ton of bonus episodes. We're currently going through Harley Quinn, but there's a ton of My Bloody Judy bonus episodes and stuff like that. And you can watch our YouTube series, My Nudie Judy, which is me and uh, Zachary Patton Garcia talking about sex stuff, and um, get access to a private Facebook group. And if you want to follow us on social media, we are at SlayerFestX98 on all platforms. And I am at IanXCarlos on all platforms. Quinn, where can everyone find you? You can find me at Quinn McKay on Twitter and at Real Quinn McKay on Instagram because somebody's holding on to that handle. They won't give it back to me. Um, and I also, I want to give just like a quick shout out to my brother, Ryan, who's way cooler than I am, who introduced me to this podcast. And for that reason, I won't use this as an excuse to put myself over as the Supreme sibling. Aww. Uh, yeah, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan is wonderful and uh, has a band called uh, Big Damn Heroes. And you should check them out. I mentioned them every Firefly episode we did. I think I was always being mm -hmm. like, oh, and blah, blah, has a band. And um, yeah, you should check them out. <laughs> uh, Philip, where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Philip underscore Ellis. That's Philip with one L, uh, Ellis with two, or on Instagram at Philip Ellis. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I hopefully have some pretty cool stuff that I'm not allowed to talk about right now, but maybe by the time the episode drops, I will. So um, <laughs> give me a follow. And Adam, where can everyone find you? Uh, so you can find my YouTube content by typing in my name, Adam Strawn. Uh, you type that in, you'll see my face. You can also find my podcast. So last week on and into you, it's on all podcasting platforms. So if you forget the name of the last one there, just remember the Ariana Grande song and you'll be absolutely fine. And if you want to follow me, I am at Strawn87 on Twitter and Instagram. Cool. All right. Well, we will see you all next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.